Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are and what you've done for us. And now as we, we come to your word, Lord, we, we want to hear you speak. We want to hear what you have to say to us. We want to hear, um, hear your word. And so we pray that you would do that now, that you would speak to us clearly and powerfully this morning. We pray that anything that may be going on in this room or in our minds or in our hearts that would distract us from hearing what you have to say this morning, that you would remove it and clear it out of the way so that we could truly hear what you have to say this morning. Father, open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, we're continuing through Galatians. We're going to do the, the second half of Galatians 2 this morning. So Galatians 2, 11 through 21. And we get to hear about an argument between Peter and Paul. Paul writes, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he, Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one can be justified. No one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Strong words. Like I mentioned at the beginning of this series, Paul is not beating around the bush. He's not sugarcoating it. He is telling it like it is. And uh, wait till we get to the next chapter. He gets even more rowdy. Says things that I would never say from the pulpit. (laughs) But here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture a scenario that I'm assuming most of you, I'm just going to say I assume all of you are familiar with. Um, If you're not, I'm going to feel bad. (laughs) So I want you to picture that you're like you've just gotten in an argument with somebody, whether it's a friend or a 
parent or a spouse, whatever, you've gotten in an argument about with someone about something. I know that's vague, so think of maybe you got in an argument with a friend because you borrowed something from them and then you broke it. And they're just ticked that you broke it. Or, or you're arguing with your spouse because um, you know, your spouse has just been leaving socks all over the house and you're tired of it. Or, or you're the one who has been leaving socks all over the house and your spouse is angry at you and you're the one and you're in the middle of an argument there. Either way, you get in this argument, things get heated, you, know, you raise your voice, and there's no resolution, and you eventually just kind of walk away like, we just got to be done or it's going to get even worse, okay? So here's what I want you to try to put yourself in that situation and then begin to think, what's going through your mind as you walk away from that heated argument? Still angry, you haven't reconciled, you're still angry, you kind of walk off in a huff. Um, let's choose the sock example. So you're the one, you're the one who keeps leaving your socks all over the house and your spouse got angry at you and you had a confrontation, you fought and then they, you walk away and you're angry. Most likely something like this is going through your head. can't believe they're making such a big deal about nothing. I mean, they're just nitpicking everything. I mean, it's not like I don't do anything around the house. I do stuff around the house all the time. I fix this, I fix that. I, even the other day. I saw someone else leave their socks around the house, and I picked it up, threw it in the dirty clothes. I didn't criticize anybody. I didn't even say anything. I just picked it up, threw it away, walked away, didn't make a big deal about it. Can't believe they're making such a big deal about this. Sheesh. Right? I hope I'm not alone in this, because this happens all the time. I, you know. And I've been a pastor long enough in youth ministry or in this kind of ministry that I know that this is going on in everybody's heads. Right? Or if you're the one, let's say you're, you, have, you borrowed a tool from your friend and you broke it and they're mad, you're thinking something like, not like they've ever broken anything of mine before. Just go. No, it wasn't even that expensive. What's the big deal? Right? It happens. So if you're going to put a label on that, what's going on in your head, what would you label that? And what I want to say, what I think the exact label of what's going on is called self-justification, right? You're trying to justify yourself in that situation. And so, and justification just means if you are justified, you are not guilty. And so someone has come to you and said, you are guilty of leaving your socks all over the house. And you go, how dare you say that I'm not guilty? And then you walk away and you quickly become a lawyer and you come up with a very good argument to prove your innocence, that I am not guilty. So you're working really hard on like self-justifying yourself. I am not guilty of this. That's what justification is all about. So when you go through the Bible and you see justified or justification, it's all about this not guilty verdict. And in that instance, we, have a, we just have a natural tendency deep down in ourselves to try to self-justify. To try to think, I am not guilty. I am not as bad as you think I am. And then we come up with lots of good arguments and reasons to say that we're not guilty. And so the question is, I mean, we, we don't want to be guilty though, right? I mean, that's the, that's the problem. And last week in my sermon, I kind of laid out that we are definitely sinners from top to the bottom. And when we stand in front of God... And God judges us, he says, guilty. And so we want to know, 
how can we be found not guilty? Or another way to say that is, how can we be justified? And Paul starts off by saying, giving us a way that we are not justified. He says, know that a man, this is a person, a human being, is not justified by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. I mean, it's pretty blanket statement, cut and dry. You cannot be justified by observing the law. It's impossible, not going to happen. And you might say, okay, well, what, is, what does he mean by observing the law? Is he talking about like the, the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament? Is he talking about the Ten Commandments? And I would say, yeah, all of them. Pretty much anything that God requires of you, he's talking about. Any requirement that God lays before you, he's saying you cannot be justified by following that. So the Ten Commandments is in that. You can go through the Ten Commandments, and Paul says you can follow all of the Ten Commandments perfectly. You can't be justified. You could, live, you could follow all of them perfectly, and God would still look at you and say, guilty. And Jesus even sums it up just to make it easier for us. He, he just brings all of the Ten Commandments and actually all of the Bible and puts it into two commandments. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And law and the prophets is just a way of saying all of Scripture. All of Scripture can be boiled down into these two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. And Paul says, you can love God and love your neighbor, and guess what? You still won't be justified. Because no one can be justified by the law. It's impossible. You can't do it. I remember listening to R.C. Sproul talk about his college days, and, and they were kind of equipping them to share the gospel in the community. And so they, would, they gave them two questions and sent them out into the community to ask people these two questions, and then they would actually come back and kind of give their answers and then kind of put the results together so they could see how people answered the questions. And the first question they would ask somebody on the street is, do you have certainty that when you die you're going to go to heaven? Okay, so that was the first question. Do you have certainty that when you die, you're going to go to heaven? And he said, the vast, vast majority of the people said, no, I have no certainty that that's going to happen. And then they followed it up with another question that said, if you were to die today and find yourself in the presence of God, and God looks at you and says, why should I let you into my heaven? How would you answer that? Okay, so picture you die, you're standing before God, and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? He said 90% of the people they asked that question responded by saying something like, well, I've been a good person, I've tried to do all the right things, I went to church, I gave money to the church, I helped in the soup kitchen, kitchen. I, I fed the orphans, I, I did all of these things. 90% of the people answered it that way. And if you were to sum up all of those things, they could all be summed up as observing the law, loving God or loving your neighbor. And Paul says, none of them will justify you. None of them will give you a not guilty verdict. You could stand before God and say, 
Well, I went to church every Sunday. I gave 20% of my income. I did more than 10%. I gave 20% of my income to the church. And he would say, you're still guilty. You're not justified. You could say, but I, but I fed the poor. I, I, I helped out orphans. I, I protected people from bullies. And he would say, you're still not justified by following the law. It's impossible. Not a single one of those works can have us be justified in God's sight. We're, we would still be found guilty. And the reality is the world around us believes that. That's the majority of the world. Actually, all of the other religions are based on that foundation. Islam is about the good works outweighing the bad works. If you could tip the scales in the right way, then you, you make it into heaven. Mormons believe that. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that. Hindus and Buddhists believe in reincarnation. So if you do good works, you're reincarnated better, and you keep doing good works, and then you're reincarnated better until you actually attain nirvana, and then you just kind of go into nothingness. But, but the reality is it's all based on good works again. You're saved by doing good works. Christianity is the only religion, and it's the true religion, and it says you cannot be saved by doing good works. You cannot be justified by it. We're the only religion in the world that says that. And we emphasize it a lot, and then we come into church, and, and people who've grown up in the church, they know that, right? We've just kind of pounded it in people's heads. You cannot work your way into heaven. We pound it into people's heads in the church, and we think we've kind of got it if we've grown up in the church, and yet it has a subtle way of sneaking in still. has a subtle way of sneaking in by, like, by saying things like, well, we're saved. Of course Jesus saves us, but I still need, you know, it's kind of like Jesus and attending church every Sunday. Jesus, I'm saved by Jesus and giving money to the church, or I'm saved by Jesus and volunteering in other ministries, or I'm saved by Jesus and doing these other things. And it kind of sneaks in subtly. And if, and if we think that we're not tempted to fall into this, or that we can't make this mistake, um, Peter made the mistake. The pillar of the church, the one that Jesus said, you know, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. You know, one of the top, one of the three, top three of the disciples, he fell into that mistake. And, and Paul rebukes him for that. I'll, we'll read that in a little bit. But what was going on in the Galatian church, why Paul's writing this, is that some false teachers had come into the church and said, Jesus isn't quite enough. If, if you want to really be saved, you need Jesus and the law. You, you need Jesus, but then you also need to be circumcised, you need to eat clean foods, you need to observe certain days, and then you're saved. So they didn't say you just follow the law and you're saved. No, Jesus is a big deal, but, but you need Jesus and the law. And the, the law kind of adds to your justification, or it kind of helps give you some brownie points with God, or kind of sets the, you know, gets you at least in his good graces a little bit more, and then Jesus kind of finishes it off from there. And we fall into that. Look at, look at what Peter, happens to Peter. It says, Before certain men came from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. 
because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So Paul goes through these churches, preaches the gospel. Gentiles are saved. Even Jews are saved. And the picture is Paul and Peter and all the Gentiles and the Jews were eating together, hanging out together, enjoying their new Christian freedom, probably over like a plate of bacon. Because, I mean, they couldn't eat pork. They couldn't have bacon for thousands of years. I mean, let's eat some bacon, right? So they're, they're, they're doing that. They're celebrating their Christian freedom over that. All, you see one body functioning together. And then this, the, those who belong to the circumcision are those false teachers. They come and they say, well, yeah, Jesus and the law. And they come and then they separate themselves from everybody else and say, because that's what Jews did. They wouldn't eat with Gentiles, not because they thought they were better, but because they didn't want to accidentally eat unclean food because the law was a big deal. And so they just didn't even eat with the Gentiles, so they didn't risk sinning against the law. And so the, the Jews came in and then the Gentiles were all sitting over here with Paul and Peter and they sat over here and ate. And then Peter got embarrassed. He was afraid of what they would think. What are they going to think of me? I'm eating with the Gentiles. I'm eating unclean food. Oh, no. And so Peter leaves, gets up from the Gentiles, goes, sits with these guys, and then a bunch of people see Peter do it, so then all these other Jews start doing it. And then even Barnabas, like good old Barnabas, Mr. Encourager, Mr. Positive, he even gets up, walks away, and goes over. And Paul gets ticked. Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. And when I saw that these guys were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, in front of everybody, right? So think of a church potluck after church. And not that Larry would do this, but we'll just say Larry. Larry decides to separate himself off and eat with some other people. And I stand up and I say, Larry Meyer. You knock it off. You're not living in line with the gospel. And everybody would get really uncomfortable. <laughs> but that's kind of what happened. Paul stood up in front of everybody, the whole church, and said, Paul, or Peter, the gospel that you're preaching, you're not living according to it. You're making everybody think that the law is required to be saved. That's the only reason why you would have got up and left. You think that it's Jesus and the law. That's why you were embarrassed about not following the law. And he said, because you're doing that, you're not living in line with the truth of the gospel. But he also says, at the very end, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If we, if we start to live out these lives where it's Jesus plus the law... Paul says we're setting aside the grace of God and we're making Christ's death worth nothing. Strong words. And he said that to Peter. Peter, this is what you're doing. You're setting aside the grace of God and you're making Christ's death worth nothing. Because grace is completely undeserved. If there's anything that we can do to try to earn our salvation and in any way, there's no grace. It's gone. We take the grace of God, we stick it off to the side, say we don't want it. We've got this under control. Or if we think we can add to our salvation in any way, we say that Christ wasn't a perfect Savior. He just wasn't quite good enough. And then we kind of say, 
but I am good enough to finish the work that Christ didn't do. And Paul says, and then you make Christ's death worth nothing. Strong words. The question is, how are we justified then? If it's not by doing good things, not by fulfilling the law, Paul says, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. He says, so we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. That's it. If you want to to stand before God on the day that you die, and he says, why should I let you into heaven? If you start saying, I went to church, he's going to say, nope then you don't think my son's sacrifice was enough. You say, Jesus. All Jesus. He lived the perfect life for me. He died the perfect death for me. I don't deserve to enter into your heaven, but Christ loved me and gave himself for me, and I trusted him. And God will say, not guilty. Come in. Actually, the moment you put your faith in Christ, right now, he says, not guilty. And you think, but, but I sin all the time. And he says, not guilty, because I see you through the lens of Christ. Christ's perfect life. Now I look through that lens and I see you and I say, not guilty. And we have a hard time with that sometimes. But he says, not guilty, right now and forever. For eternity, not guilty. The moment we put our faith in Christ. And, and you might want to say, but my, I, I should do all these good things, right? That kind of help, should help me get on God's good graces a little bit more. No. Not guilty when you put your faith in Christ. It does not matter how much you attend church. It does not matter if you went to a Christian school. It does not matter how many ministries you are involved in. It doesn't matter how many orphans you've fed. None of that adds to your justification. Only faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's not faith plus. If we start thinking, I'm saved by faith and going to church, Paul says, We've set aside the grace of God and made Christ's death worth nothing. If we say that we're saved by faith and volunteering in ministries, Paul says we've set aside God's grace and made Christ's death worth nothing. He says you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and not a single work of your own. And then you begin to live out a life of faith. It doesn't just end. It's not like one little moment of faith and then it's gone. It's a life of faith. This is a famous passage and, and it can make your brain hurt if you're trying to figure out exactly what Paul's trying to say, but we're just going to look at just at the surface of what he's saying. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I live this life of faith with Christ living in me. Now, how does that work? I don't know. (laughs) That's just the reality. I mean, Christ is in you. You're doing things, but Christ is in you, doing them with you, and they kind of happen at the same time. But, But know that Christ is in you, helping you live out this life of faith. Entrusting all of your life to him, the one who loves you, 
and the one who gave himself for you. Every aspect of your life. That's what it means to live this life of faith out. But it's important to know that as we live out lives of faith, that we cannot add to our justification or earn brownie points with God. Because our justification had nothing to do with what we did anyways. We're not justified by any works of the law. And how that begins to subtly play itself out in our lives is we start coming to church every week thinking that we're earning brownie points with God. We're getting on God's good graces. We're, we're maybe you know, just making it a little bit easier for God to say not guilty. And Paul says if we come to church trying to earn brownie points with God, you're setting aside God's grace. You're making Christ's death worth nothing. Rather, Paul says, you've been declared not guilty by a Savior. Come to church and worship him. Like, be excited to say, holy buckets, this guy saved me. He redeemed me. I want to come and worship him along with his people. I'm not here to earn brownie points. I just love this guy and I want to be here. Right? We don't, we don't earn brownie points by volunteering in all of these different ministries if we think that we're earning brownie points by volunteering more or giving more money, Paul says, we've set aside the grace of God. We've made Christ's death worth nothing. Rather, we volunteer because Ephesians says Christ has poured out gifts on his people. He's given them musical gifts and serving gifts and preaching gifts and all these other things. And then we just get excited that God, he's gifted me with something. I can use this. Let me use it. I don't care if I earn brownie points for him. I'm just doing what God's made me to do. And so we do it. Do you see the difference between serving to earn brownie points and serving purely out of joy and gratitude? Serving to earn brownie points is not living in line with the gospel. And it's making Christ's death worth nothing. But serving and worshiping out of joy and gratitude is living in line with the gospel and brings glory and honor to God. We are justified, this is from the, the Reformation, we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Nothing else. And we can live out these lives of faith just resting in that truth. Let's pray. Lord, what a, what a promise you've given us. What a difficult thing for us to wrestle through because we all have a natural tendency to want to justify ourselves or to add to it. And yet you have said, not by any of our works are we justified, but solely by faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, take that truth and, and, and implant it on our hearts so that every aspect of our lives begins to reflect that truth when we're at church or when we're in the community or wherever we are, that we live a life that is in line with the gospel. We live it not to earn brownie points with you, but to, but to simply out of the joy and gratitude that we have in you. Lord, transform our hearts. Forgive us when we start to live trying to earn our salvation. Forgive us and then, and then turn us around and point us in the right direction so that we live our lives out in gratitude and joy for you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.